Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Number 200. <laughs> it's just hard to think about and hard to believe that 200 episodes ago, all those years ago, we started the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank all of you for being listeners and following along through this journey. Just the whole Greenlight experience has been fantastic. You know, the fact that we've developed the world's best medical device success platform to help medical device companies design safer, more effective products that are going to impact the quality of life in a good way is in and of itself freaking amazing. And the fact that I get to do and host the Global Medical Device Podcast, so much fun. Uh, don't tell anybody that I'm working when I do these, but I do enjoy the opportunity to connect with so many awesome people in our industry on so many important, impactful topics. Uh, and, I've, and I've just been blessed to be able to do this for all these years. So thank you again so much. I'm so appreciative. So grateful. On this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I get to talk to a friend of mine that, a friendship, frankly, that emerged uh, as part of this green light journey. Someone who thinks about medical device product development and working with startups in a way that that very much aligns with my own philosophy and my own approach. And we you know, have a great time riffing uh, and collaborating off of each other. That guest is Devin Campbell with Product, P-R-O-D-C-T. And in this episode, he and I talk a, a little bit more in depth about waterfall versus agile with respect to your product development approach and process and methodology. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, powered by Greenlight Guru. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Joining me today is Devin Campbell. Devin is the founder and CEO at Product, P-R-O-D-C-T. Devin, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. Devin, special surprise uh, for for the listener. Oh, yeah. By the way, we're on video now. So some folks uh, maybe haven't picked that up, but uh, we incorporated video recently on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Don't worry if you're listening to us and, you know, uh, taking a stroll through the neighborhood. You can still check it out on audio, but it is on YouTube. We do have video incorporated into that uh, as well. But Devin, special uh, episode today. This is number 200. Can you believe it? It's crazy. Yay. Uh, I know you and I have had uh, uh, quite a few uh, thrilling conversations on the Global Medical Device Podcast in the past, as well as uh, just, you know, things that we didn't record. But, uh, you know, a lot of great guests over the years, a lot of great topics of conversation. I remember, do you remember the first time that we met in person? Yeah, we, you were doing a True Quality Roadshow in Boston, and I was on your panel. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like... And then, and then we went out for dinner afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, I felt like I'm, I just met a kindred spirit, like somebody that, that, you know, I could just riff off of and, you know, like, like we have completely different upbringings. Well, not completely, but enough different upbringing in, in the industry. But at the same time is like, you know, philosophically and, and, 
you know, just the way we think about things was, was pretty similar. And, and I really have appreciated bouncing things off of you over the years. So thank you for, for being a collaborator. Thank you for being a friend and, and so many different opportunities and, and guests to consider for number 200. But, you know, who, who, who better than Devin Campbell with product? I'm happy to be here. And I thought, since this is such a special episode, and I know how passionate you are about medical device product development and working with startups, I share that similar passions. I thought we could dive into this uh, this topic that's still very confusing for people on, on medical device product development. And specifically, I thought we could sort of unpack some some myths and maybe bust a few myths about waterfall and agile. Um, methodology with respect to, to product development. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's fun. It'll be um, it'll be a slight deviation, slight from our normal conversations where we're focusing on, uh, more specifically on culture of quality and implementation implementation of quality, um, primarily with emerging entrepreneurs and earlier startups kind of dipping their toes in this space and kind of looking at it with timid eyes. Um, and we thought, you know, let's not focus just on quality. You know, let's look at more of the, because we're both product development nerds in, in the medical device space. I mean, that's what you and I do. Yeah. Um, and we thought, you know, let's step back a little bit and look at the more holistic picture of which quality is a piece of. But obviously, we won't be able to divorce ourselves from quality within the conversation. But we'll try to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually had an opportunity um, recently to to be a guest on a couple other uh, podcast. One was Project MedTech uh, from Dwayne Mancini, and then another was uh, the Easy Medical Device podcast with uh, Munir uh, Elazuzi. And I, I think on both of those, I talked a little bit about product development because you know I've been in this space for going on twenty three years, and and I think there's a lot of confusion Me as well. Yeah, and I think the the big confusion about medical device product development is exacerbated by the infamous waterfall diagram that's published in the FDA guidance. And I think that there it is. That's it. Um, <laughs> I think that creates a lot of confusion, especially for like uh, startups who, you know, maybe are quick and nimble and want to be more agile in their, in their approach and methodology. I think it's especially confusing for like software as med device companies are like, ah, that those regulations, they're antiquated, they're out of date and that sort of thing. But there's this perception that, that thou shalt do waterfall if you are a medical device company. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, the, it's not in 820 itself, right? It's written in the, into the guidance documents where that picture shows up. Um, the picture that shows the waterfall approach, um, if you, if for listeners, if you pull up uh, the guidance documents for 820, and it's it's only just a few pages into the doc in, into the overall document where it talks about applica application design controls and shows you that figure that moves from user needs all the way down to the medical device, and a lot of people see that and they see the picture. The picture resonates and stays with them without necessarily reading through all of the rest of the guidance document. And they walk away with this impression, this incorrect impression, that, well, the FDA says we have to do this, and therefore we shall do this, right? They've given us a model. This is the way we have to do it. It doesn't say that. I mean, if you, if you read it, it, says, it tells you in the guidance document that this is an illustration of one way to do it. 
Um, and, you know, it's kind of a culmination of best practices at the time, which was 1997. Uh, no, uh, yeah, 1997. So about the same time I was getting into the medical device field. And so people just, they see this waterfall approach and they just use it kind of blindly almost. Um, you know, and it's what has been in the industry and it's what people use. And it's, you know, you bounce around from company to company. Everyone basically has like a stage gated or a phase gated kind of waterfall approach to product development. And you just kind of walk away as you move around a bit to say, well, this is industry norm, right? You know, this is just how we do things and don't necessarily think to challenge it. Uh, and you can do all the research you want online, looking at medical device product development um, processes. And most of the time you're going to find versions of that picture, right? In you know, documents that companies put out to say, you know, this is how you do it. You're going to find deviations of that picture. You don't see a lot saying there are other ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always looked at, well, a couple of things. So I remember, you know, sort of my formative years in, in medical device product development, you know, just coming right out of school, uh, being a product development engineer for a relatively large medical device company. And I didn't, well, first and foremost, the, the term agile as far as a, a product development methodology didn't exist uh, when I started in, in uh, the industry. I mean, I think what the agile manifesto was published like 2000 or something like that, right? 2001. 2001. 2001. Yeah. So, you know, FDA design control regulations became, you know, and it went into effect in, I think, 90, 1996. The guidance that you mentioned was 1997. So that's, you know, a few years ahead of time. But um, I guess when I looked at it, I, I didn't understand, you know, the whole phase versus agile and that sort of thing. When, when we did development, I just knew that, you know, I, first and foremost, I love prototyping, getting hands on because, you know, that as a, as an engineer and that's fun, you know, you get to put things together, you get to do some tests, you get to break things and see how things work. Um, mm -hmm. But I was, th you know, looking back, I think I was really agile in my approach. Uh, even though we had a procedure, we, we had a system that was more or less, uh, I'll say, waterfall-esque in its intent and design or, you know, maybe a stage gate type of approach. Uh, but even with that, I mean, there were things that I was doing as a product development engineer that, that were, you know, I would label as agile today. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think that 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 became you know so ingrained as as uh, the conventional wisdom in the industry? Do you think it was just that point where people saw the picture and said, "Hey, that's what FDA wants. I'm not going to read any further, and let's let's architect a system that way." Yeah, I mean, you're given an example and told that there are other ways to do it, but you are given an example, and so it's a very obvious leap to say, "Well, the FDA gave me this." example they didn't dive into detail on other ways to do it i'm just going to follow that yeah. um so it's i think it's a natural consequence of of providing a single example yeah and i i remember too we had uh hired an outside firm their name escapes me for the moment but there were two uh gentlemen who were the i think they they were noted as the fathers of stage gate or something like that and and they weren't unique to med device mm -hmm. Um, so I think this is a mm -hmm. challenge that that um, presents itself in numerous industries, not just med device. But we actually hired this company to come in, and they put in you know the, all these 
stages and these gates and all these sorts of things. And it was presented as, hey, this is a better way for a business to operate, you know, incorporating the governance and you have to have entrance criteria and exit criteria and that sort of thing. But man, it just, it just, yeah, inside, it just, it didn't seem very effective. It didn't seem to align with what was important for us as a business. And it was still a waterfall approach. It was still a waterfall. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's still a waterfall just with, with different, um, different buzzwords uh, sure. and, and different marketing opportunities. So yeah, there was, um, you know, not necessarily though, it's uh, a revolutionary type type approach, right? Uh, but you know, served a lot of good for a lot of people and helped you know helped a lot of companies kind of get some infrastructure established, help them get their arms around how they're going to develop medical devices in a very safe and efficacious manner that will satisfy the needs of of patients and of customers and of the FDA and regulators. Um, so, you know. <laughs> You know, not throwing any shade on any of that. I mean, it 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 was it you know, was very helpful. Um, yeah. But again, you saw kind of at that time the industry really swinging. You know, everyone's all in on on that kind of approach, and you see all the companies starting to do it. And then you started to see the same trend as you know after the Agile Manifesto comes out in two thousand one, and then you know specifically for software development, you start seeing huge gains in efficiency and productivity, customer satisfaction for software companies where they're using this approach. And it creates this natural tension, right? Between like, here's something new, it's shiny and new, and it has all of its own buzzwords and special lingo like Scrum Master and Sprints and all these things. Um, Right, right. And, but you see that it's working. And then so it kind of creates this tension in our industry. Like, how do we start, how do we start to do that? We want to do that. And so I could, you started to see software development, not just software for, you know, um, as, as a service type options or software as a medical device options, but just even software development for larger devices that employ software and firmware. You start seeing those teams start doing it. And then you had this kind of disconnect between the rest of the team, and, and I'm from more of the in vitro diagnostic world, so I have not just the hardware and software development, but also chemistry and assay development side of things. So you've got hardware, chemistry, assay, consumables, you have all this work happening, and then the quality systems and the, and the internal teams that are governing how we do all that, doing all that the way that they normally do, and then you have the software team kind of over here doing something different. And it created this this interesting dynamic of of how do we let you do your thing and be fast and and have what are you going to do like weekly or biweekly sprints? What does that mean in the context of a larger medical device? And and how you know we can't make hardware in two weeks. Um, you know, prototyping wasn't as as um, readily accessible as it is now, right? Three D printers weren't everywhere. Right. Um, but I don't know. It kind of created this interesting tension. Did you? Did you? experienced that at all in your past? Yeah. And and I'm glad you brought up the word fast because I I think that is a, um, well, my, my experience is that's also a myth. I think the myth is that agile product development is faster than waterfall, which can be true. And I've seen it be false, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, it's less about 
what methodology that you use and, and more about, um, I, I guess, how you architect those, those processes and those systems. But yeah, I, I, I saw that a lot, you know, where, um, you know, it's, it's a head scratch. It was a head scratch at the time. I was like, wait, you know, and you're working on an electromechanical device uh, is extremely challenging because you have that hardware component, you know, especially like I said, before 3d printing, getting a, uh, a printed circuit board, man, that was, a, that took a long time. I mean, to lay out schematics and, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. you got Gerber's and all these sorts of things and the lead time to get those. And, you know, and meanwhile, the, the firmware team, you know, is, is doing a lot of work on, on some breadboards maybe, or, or maybe even some, some simulated right. uh, uh, printed circuit right. boards. They could iterate so much faster. And then, you know, once the, the hardware team got the, the first run of boards and, and, you know, they figure out, you know, okay, well, we need to edit here and modify there. There's all these jumper wires all over the damn thing. And, and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. But, you know, I, I think that that's sort of the drawback of being more hands, hand, like a tangible good, like a printed circuit board or a mechanical product is that ability to iterate is, is so much slower. And that's, I, I think that put some constraints, but yeah, for sure. I had similar experiences. So I think that it might be a misconception that, you know, it's, it's slower in, in one versus the other. It's a really a matter of what trying to define, like, what does good look like and saying, all right, well, you know, we can't, we're not going to develop hard electromechanical hardware, you know, in one week sprints, like the software team can do their stuff really quickly, or maybe even a two week sprint, but we can, think through how are we going to deliver, you know, something of value that someone can then test to move us along. The whole idea there, right. Is, is don't just like give me a bunch of requirements and lock me up in a, in a, in a room and I just develop something. And then like three months later, I say, here's the prototype, right. You really need to embrace this idea of continuous change. That's one of the 12 tenets, right. Of, of, of the original manifesto is acknowledging and embracing that, changing requirements happen and let's not try to fight it, um, but instead uh, work with it. And this idea of, you know, well, what, well, what can we do? You know, maybe I can prototype something like one piece of it to get some customer involvement or some user involvement early. You know, if it's a surgical tool, maybe, you know, I don't have the whole thing done, but maybe I could start working on the, the piece that the surgeon is holding. Right. So we can start getting some customer feedback on how does it feel in their hand? What does the weight balance feel like? Things like that. So you can get that feedback and do the constant iteration, which is, you know, Agile's famous for. You see that little the little line that goes up and then it kind of circles around and goes back forward and you just keep doing that. You can deploy that kind of thinking as long as you're flexible enough or agile enough in, in how you approach things, um, even on the electromechanical side. And I've had success doing that in the past. Yeah. And, and I've had it on purely mechanical products. And, and like I said, I didn't know that, that I was being agile at the point time where I was doing it. Right. Uh, right. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I was, we had uh, like uh, machining equipment, like we had a, a lathe in our engineering department and an end mill and all these sorts of things and some bar stock and, and some, you know, just chunks mm-hmm. of plastic and, and I would go and machine different components. Now we weren't going to machine the part in the end, but you can machine things and grab a few parts and pieces and, you know, glue. You know, I did a lot of catheter development in, in early days, but you can hack some things together to make some crude prototypes to your point, just to 
get it in the hands of the end user, not from a procedural standpoint, but, you know, get their feedback. You know, is this, is this about the right size? Is this the right orientation? You know, and, and those sorts of things. So I think that's the thing that, that a lot of mechanical people get hung up on is, is they, they, they backload uh, those types of events until much further along in the, the development mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, once you do that, you've already invested a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of resources, and now changes become expensive, right? Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I recall the, I don't know what the rule's called, um, but I remember hearing it, the 110-100 rule. Have you, have you heard of this? No, tell me. <laughs> okay, so um, if you make a change in, and let's just say, and I'm going to oversimplify uh, a product development uh, process as the beginning, middle, and end. But if you make a change in the beginning, mm-hmm. it costs you a dollar. If you make a change in okay. the middle, it costs yeah. you $10. If you make a change at the end, it's going to cost you $100 and so on and so forth. So it's a rule of 10, I think is what it's called. Or maybe even 1000 Or yeah. 1000 right? <laughs> so it's to your advantage to, to iterate, make those changes. To your point, realize that those requirements are very fluid and use, use prototyping or, or you know, different things, different methodologies and approaches to help you refine and fine-tune those requirements and do that early and often. Right. right? Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's been done, right? So, I mean, we're talking about kind of in the past and, and, yeah. and we're also bemoaning a little bit that the industry still seems very stuck on that waterfall approach, um, which I, I appreciate its value uh, and, and some positive things that it brings to governance and overall product development processes. Agile is is highly valuable as well. And that approach and that methodology, you know, starting in software, but you can apply it to a much broader space. But, you know, there's lots of people that have been applying it and trying, like I tried it, um, to bring it into medical devices and the electromechanical side, not just the software side. And there are a number of different approaches out there right now that people can still kind of take a look at, right? There's, there's like, safe and there's like large scale scrum and safe is the um, scaled agile um, framework. There's just a number of different ways that you can take these, these scrum ideas that people have tried applying them and said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, take the manifesto and make it our own in, in this space. And this is what our company does that was working, you know, worked really well. And then, you know, maybe you productize it. And it becomes something that you can then go out and market and sell to people. And you have your own new buzzwords and uh, your own new approaches. And, you know, there's a lot of good models that are out there. And I think one key takeaway that I want people listening to us kind of talking through this conversation to at least walk away with one thing, to just know that there, there is something different than the waterfall approach. And there are lots of hybrid approaches that blend agile and waterfall very effectively and there's some good examples of people doing it in, you know, the medical device space. What's important, though, whenever like a company is looking at this and saying, especially in, in my space where I really focus on emerging entrepreneurs and earlier startups, is say, okay, how are we going to do this, this development? To look at these different models that are out there, you know, look at what the FDA still has on their guidance document that is, you know, 
much older now. Um, and, you know, look at these different documents that are out there and these different websites. And, you know, Agile's very, very open source. So there's lots of different ways that you can look at it and people freely share these ideas. But what's important is to acknowledge there are different ways to do it. Read about them, learn about them, maybe bring in some experts that have experience with some of them. But don't just pick one and blindly follow it. Yeah. Right. Just to say, okay, this is the approach and I'm going to, I'm going to go all in um, with this methodology and I'm going to, you know, okay, well, we have to use these terms and we have to do everything. In my experience, when I've seen that happen, it's met with some level of resistance within the team. And I think it's important to understand the culture of the team, the culture of the organization, how much can they take, how different from normal could they, you know, if they have a few people on uh, you know a, a startup company that have been in the industry. All, all they know is like one approach. Well, then you know those in, they might even be on the leadership teams for for these yeah. startups. So they, you know they're going to have a little bit of trouble um, adopting. So looking at hybrid approaches, but then personalizing them and making them your own. That's really what's important, right? And that's going to how that's going to be how you will ultimately be able to realize the best hybrid blend of efficiency between the two. Um, and, and help satisfy all of the key stakeholders in your product development processes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've talked, and I'll go back to that sort of that that myth, and especially as it relates to like software as a meta device. I think you know they're like, well, we're we're pure agile. We we follow the manifesto to the T, and 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 then there's others like, oh, well, FDA is is sacrosanct about about being waterfall. We follow that to a T. I think that's that's a mistake. You know, you, you can't just follow something blindly. I mean, I, and and I I think it's it's really important to to your point to understand who's on your team, what experiences do they have, but you know, define and an architect a system that works for your company, for your resources, for the types of products that you're developing, and. My current experience, um, somehow, somewhat related to what how we develop uh, software at Greenlight, is I think there's a good blend that's 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 important. Uh, I think it is important to have gates, if you will, for certain milestones or events. But in between those, you know, iterate like crazy. You know, you know, use the agile approach. But but there are points where the business needs to make a decision about. You know, is this a go or a no go? So, I, yeah, my my current yeah. thing, I think it's a great to have better or makes more sense to have a blend of those those concepts. Yeah. So, what would you say to people that that would push back? Because um, I've heard this before. They're pushed back and say, "Well, there's no way a quality system." You know, forget about the waterfall approach that's in there. They just say, "You know, uh, there's no way that that works in a uh, 820 environment or in an ISO 13485 environment." There's no way that that works in this environment. You know, you document your requirements, you you build out your DHF, you connect user needs to product requirement to, to product requirements. You start decomposing those further, and you just march through the process and kind of go through the systems. V. Um, you know, it's a natural process, and that's just what you have to do for quality because you have to be able to tie back and have this test case, you know, this verification or these validation studies, you know, prove that proves out these requirements or user needs. Um, and that's just, you, you work through it and several months or years later, you start doing your verification studies to prove all that stuff. Um, what do you say to the folks that say, yeah, there's no way you can use 
this kind of thinking in, in, in the strict confines of medical device quality systems? Well, my first reaction is, in my 23 years of doing this, I don't share that experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a, a different experience yeah. that suggests that there is a more flexible way to do this. Right. And I would encourage someone to read that guidance document past the waterfall diagram uh, where FDA talks about uh, the product development methodologies and approach. Um, and, and to your point, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, they say this is a way, this is not the only way. I'm certainly paraphrasing here. And, and they, well, they, they say, I can give you the exact word because I have it here. The development process depicted in the example is a traditional waterfall model. The design proceeds in a logical sequence of phases or st or stages the requirements are developed and the device is designed to meet that and it goes on to say like but this is an example right yeah this is the key word there is the example yeah meaning there are others and and they further on in that document too it talks about concurrent engineering yep um which uh my interpretation of concurrent engineering is it's agile methodology before the term agile methodology was even coined as a as a it's a hot thing it's yeah, yeah. I think there are some absolutes, though. I, I, I think there is a certain order of operation. I, I don't. I, th I think you shouldn't be doing final verification or and or validation activities without understanding what your user needs and, and your requirements are. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I think it's hard for you to have final outputs and specifications without knowing um, what your requirements were. Right. Uh, so I think there is a certain order of operation that. And, and I think this is where traceability is so important. And, this, and frankly, this is what drove me to, to conceptualize a better way of, of uh, design controls uh, and, and traceability, making it more common practice rather than, than sort of a, you know, a thing that some folks did. You know, let's make this the, the key thing. If you can show that sort of that chain of custody, that traceability, that flow, mm. then, you know, to me, you know, you can... You can break your your device into a thousand different mini projects, if you will, just showing how all of those things are. And like maybe you're just having to your point earlier about the surgical uh, tool. Maybe you just want to figure out the the shape and, and size and the ergonomics of that handle. You're not worried about the, all the rest of it. Well, then just focus on that and show the flow. And so I can do a verification activity on just that shape and that, that design. And I may not have even chosen the materials for the rest of it yet. And I right. think that's okay. Right. right. Yeah. So one, one thing I, I, I would add to that response. So I also don't share the opinion that I suggested. Like, what would you say to the people that say this? Clearly, I was setting us both up. Not only do the regulations not say that you have to do this, right? But if someone says, well, quality systems just won't allow it, you know, the pushback is really, you need to take a good hard look at your quality system. That for the sure. documentation that you've written that governs how you do things, it may be the case that someone says, well, I can't, for example, I can't process a change that fast, <laughs> right? So I don't, I don't want to like bump a rev on something. And then I, you know, I have God, queen and country. Everyone has to sign off on this change order before I can do it. And I say, well, implement a new change order or, or an alternative change order system. You know, use that as your final change order, but you can do like interim change orders. And we've talked on one of our earlier calls, of, I don't know, in the course of the last year or two, about um, when to start a QMS. And, and yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm very firm on start as early as you possibly can. 
And I'm a big proponent of document early, revise often, right? There's Same. nothing wrong with when you go to market, the rev of a component in your system is rev 17. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it actually illustrates that you've done a lot of testing along the way and you've learned from what's going on. You've made improvements instead of just launching your product and everything's at rev zero. Yeah, right? that's the eyebrow raiser is if that were the case, like, oh, really? You came to market with uh, one rev of, of your product? That's that's a head scratcher. Right. I have two other reactions too. I mean, I, I, I've heard for years how engineers hate design controls. And my reaction to that statement is no. If, if you feel that way, it's probably uh, probably because your design control and product development system is too cumbersome and onerous. Right. And then sort of uh, related to that is a lot of people don't want to issue a, a change order for or make a rev to something because the process that they have for making changes is too cumbersome as well. So right. if that's how you feel uh, when you're going through design control, product development, change management, those sorts of things, that it's too burdensome, uh, take a look at your system. Take a look at your approach because it's too, it's too rigid. It's just right. too rigid. Right. Yeah, it's completely a fallacy that a QMS will not support. Like even a full, a full agile approach, your QMS can absolutely, in a medical device context, can absolutely still support that. Yeah. Well, you know, here's interesting. As engineers, and I'm a mechanical engineer, we generally always do rev control on our own, right? You, you yeah. might come up with three versions of a model in right. one day, and you're going to call them, you know, whatever your rubric is, maybe the date dot one, dot two, yeah. dot three or something. But because we know and we appreciate the value of being able to go back and understand which one did we do testing with and whatever. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the case that you can't have a quality system that allows you to do that in a way that it, you can kind of take credit for, right? Well, um, and, I, and I think that's part of the challenge. I, I, most engineers are systematic enough to have that sort of rubric and approach, right. but oftentimes it's buried in their own uh, logbook, right? And, and that's unfortunate because this is potentially institutional company knowledge that will never, never surface. And, you know, but what if it did? You know, what if you could track and manage all of these iterations to and play some of those out a little bit, you know, say, well, I don't know if the dot one, the dot two, or the dot three has merit, but I need to find, I need to do more discovery to find out. But if you only pursue, or you only capture that in your logbook, and and then you only pursue the one that was the winner through that that discovery, what happens post market? And and now you need to, to update something, and somebody's like, oh, we should change this uh, thing to that other thing. And it was something that was discovered early on in development, but nobody knows it because it's buried. Right. It's hidden. Yeah. Open and transparent is the, most, yeah. is the best way to do it. Yeah. Well, any other th thoughts or tips or pointers uh, on, on this exciting topic of product development that, that you think is important to leave the audience with today? I mean, just think for yourself, right? Go look at different ways of doing it. Know that there's more than one way. Look at them. Talk to experts that didn't talk to folks like John and I that have done it before in the past and, and seen it go really well and seen it go poorly and and internalize that information and kind of come up with your own approach and don't let arbitrary bu bureaucracy or the specter of QMS 
um, <laughs> hold you back. Uh, that it is, it is absolutely not the case. Um, yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it too in this situation. You can be full agile. You can be hybrid agile. You can do, you can do what you want. Your quality systems, as long as they're flexible enough, can support it. And, and you can bring products to market with better quality, better delight for your customers and for your users, better patient outcomes, better efficacy, you know, lower costs for development. There's a lot of benefits to kind of opening your eyes and taking a good look and doing some planning before you jump in and attack and kind of questioning the industry norms. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll leave it with waterfall can work. Mm -hmm. Agile can work. Mm -hmm. Some other method that you uh, come up with can also work. There's, there's no, there is a stigma, but there's no criteria that says thou shalt use this or that. Uh, it is really up to you. I think the key thing is to keep in mind is design controls are the outcome of, of the, the process. These are the evidence, the proof that demonstrates that your product is safe and effective and uh, meet your indications for use. So this is right. what a uh, traceability matrix uh, serve, how it serves. This is the intent behind a design history file. And that sort of thing is that, that demonstration that what you did uh, meets the needs of the of the end user. What you did is safe. What you did right. is effective. That's the, the whole premise behind design controls. Different different ways to get to the same destination, but they're all equally valid. Absolutely, Devin. You know, to kind of wrap things up today. I, I uh, I'm so glad that we had that opportunity to to meet uh, in Boston those years ago. And every time we chat, I, uh, I always uh, wrap up the conversation smiling and laughing, and just we we have a good time. So. Thank you for, for your uh, friendship over the years and looking forward to collaborating uh, years ahead as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And of course, thank, I, want, I also want to thank you for being the guest, Devin Campbell with Product. You can check out uh, more about Product. Follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, check out his website, prodct.dev.dev. So check that out. Uh, he works with a lot of startup companies uh, uh, from electromechanical devices to IVD. Uh, just a really great resource to have in your corner. So reach out to Devin and, and uh, tap into his years of wisdom on medical device product development. And as always, thank you for being uh, listeners and now viewers of the Global Medical Device Podcast. We could not have gotten to number 200 uh, and and soon beyond without you, the listener. Thank you for keeping us as the number one podcast in the medical device industry. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spirit, and we'll talk to you again real soon.